There was a movie my sister watched probably a million times when she was a little girl. She's seven years younger than me, um, and so I remember a lot of her childhood. Uh, and she had these favorite VHS tapes, which were how we watched movies back in the day. And she figured out as a little girl how to put in the ones that she liked. And her favorite one was called Homeward Bound. I don't know if you're familiar with this movie. It's about three animals that get lost. The family goes on vacation, and they have to leave the animals with uh, some relatives out in the countryside. And of course, the animals can talk. It's uh, two dogs and a cat. And the, the, the dog, whose voice is Michael J. Fox, Chance, is in love with the little boy. The cat loves the girl. And then the old, wise, golden retriever, whose voice is kind of a wise old man, is uh, the, the belonging or the, the dog of the oldest boy. And they leave him there, but the dogs, the, the animals don't understand that this is just temporary. They think that the family is leaving them. And so they run away, they figure out how to get away, but then they're lost. And they're trying the, the whole time to get home. And as the family tries to go back and find them, they say, the, the animals ran away. So they go back home and they just wait. And uh, they start to lose hope that the animals will find their way home. And there's this, old, this classic scene at the end of the movie when they're standing in their backyard, which is this long field that butts up against some woods, and out comes Chance, the spotted dog, and he's running, and he's all excited. Chance is back. And then the cat comes out of the, the woods, and the, the cat is back, sassy. And then there's the, oh no, is the golden retriever gone? Because he was old, and he'd gotten hurt on the way, and you're afraid for a second that he died, that he didn't make it home. And my sister, I can still remember my sister clutching a stuffed animal, watching the scene, probably for the thousandth time, and then the dog comes out, the little golden retriever comes limping out of the woods, and she goes, <gasps> and it was like she was watching it for the first time every single time she watched it. It was fun to just watch her watch the movie. But I wonder if heaven isn't like that, sort of, that we're standing at the gate just watching our loved ones come one by one, and you're wondering, are they going to make it home? And then they come, <gasps> and the, the delight that was on my sister's face will be the delight of all of the saints in heaven as we get to our home. The whole Bible, in a certain way, is about going home, getting home, being lost, and then finding our way. There's kind of three main exiles in the history of Israel. One is the Exodus, when they were in slavery in Egypt, and Moses led them home to the Promised Land. Moses led them out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the desert, and they're wandering home, and you're wondering whether they're going to make it. And finally, they get to the River Jordan, and this man, Joshua, Yeshua, leads them across the rivers of the, of the Jordan into the Promised Land, into the land of milk and honey. And then, of course, they are there, but they aren't faithful to the covenant, and they, they get exiled again. There's two exiles. One is the exile of the northern ten tribes of Israel, who are conquered by Assyria, and they are scattered, never to, be, never to return home. They're either destroyed or they intermarry into the Gentiles, into the nations, and those northern ten tribes just cease to exist. And the southern tribe of Judah, where Jerusalem and Bethlehem are, that tribe, about 600 years before Christ, gets exiled as well when Babylon comes and conquers them from Mesopotamia and draws all, all of them out into exile in a foreign land into Babylon, present-day Iraq. But 80 years later, 
Cyrus the Persian king conquers Babylon and sends the Israelites back to Jerusalem to restore the temple and to restore. So these symbols of exile and return are so central to the history of Israel. And in our first reading today from Jeremiah, that's what's on his mind. Jeremiah is prophesying at the time that Babylon is conquering Judah. Already the northern tribes have been exiled. And now they're looking like they're going to become exiled, become lost. And what he's prophesying is a time when everyone will come home. All of the tribes, not just them after they're exiled and returned, but even the northern tribes that seem to have been obliterated, were all coming home. That's what he says. That someday, somehow, God will bring us home. It's against all evidence, against all facts. It's just faith. And the people of that time reading that prophecy must have thought to themselves, okay, that sounds great, but how? Those tribes don't even exist anymore. But really what the Bible is about isn't about any 12 tribes or any certain race of people or certain geographical location called home. It's about the whole human family that we've become lost. The real exile is the exile from Eden that Adam and Eve exiled themselves by their own decision to live apart from God. And this whole time, this whole story from that first tragedy has been the story of God coming to get us, to bring us home. And so in the fullness of time, his son Jesus comes to us in human form, and every story around him is kind of symbolic. It contains that whole mystery of the Savior coming home, whose name is Yeshua, Jesus, God saves. He's going to bring us home across the waters of baptism, through the baptism of death, into final resurrection, and into new life. That's, he's bringing us home. And so this story of Bartimaeus, it may sound like just one blind beggar who receives his sight from the miracle giver, Jesus. But what it is, is all of us. Jesus is leaving Jericho, which is kind of symbolic of the old way. Remember how the, the uh, guy goes down to Jericho from Jerusalem and gets robbed, and the good Samaritan brings him back? Right, so Jericho is kind of symbolic of the exile, all, where all of us are, trying to get to Jerusalem, symbolic of our heavenly home. And that's where Jesus is going. He's leaving Jericho, and who's with him? His disciples and a sizable crowd. Just imagine Jesus in this giant entourage, and they're just all trying to follow him because he's the famous guy. He's doing miracles. He's really cool. He's the thing that's happening now. And there's this blind guy. And he, he just hears the commotion. And he hears that it's Jesus. And he starts calling out, Yeshua, son of David, Jesus, son of David, the one who, David, united the 12 tribes. He's calling to him. He says, have mercy on me. Kyrie eleison, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And they tell him, shut up. We're going somewhere. But he keeps calling out and calling out and calling out. Finally, Jesus says, bring him to me. And says, what do you want me to do for you? And the man immediately has an answer. Master, I want to see. He knows what he needs. He knows he needs a Savior. And he knows he's unable to get home on his own by his own powers. And Jesus gives him his sight. Your faith has saved you. And it says immediately, 
He followed him on the way. It's the last words of our gospel. Did you know that before Christians were called Christians, before there was such a thing as Christianity, it was simply called the way? Are you on the way? Someone would have asked you. Meaning, do you believe in Jesus? Are you following him home? Are you a pilgrim? In other words, do you not belong to this world anymore, but do you belong to another world, and you're just on the way there now? That everything in this world is made by God, but it's passing away, and you're holding on to the only thing eternal, your way home, Jesus? That's what the, the blind man represents, is each and every one of us who's unable on our own to find our way home, we're paralyzed or disabled, somehow lost, and Jesus, our Savior, comes and gives us the strength and healing we need and guides us home. So what? So what are the dangers that we can fall into? That knowing we are in exile and on our way home and need Jesus to get there, we might fall into the danger of thinking, we've already arrived. Right? Sometimes I get this feeling, when my life is really good, <laughs> that I don't need anything, that I'm fine, that life is great the way it is. I don't want it to pass away. I don't want it to change. I'm doing well. Well, I got sick this past week, and I have a black eye, <laughs> and I'm kind of hoping that God brings me better, makes me better. You appreciate what you don't have, or you appreciate what you do have when you lose it. And I think those who are poor, those who are sick, those who are most in need sometimes recognize that they really do need Jesus. And that those, you remember the rich man from a couple weeks ago? He thought he'd already arrived. He couldn't give it all away. He couldn't throw aside his riches to follow Jesus because he thought, I'm kind of already in heaven. I don't need to go anywhere else. I have everything I need. So to recognize our need that we haven't arrived yet, that God has something yet better to give us, the other danger, we can get there ourselves. Right? Yeah, I know I'm not in heaven yet. I know I'm not perfect yet, but we can get there ourselves. If I just try hard enough, both individually, I think I can do it on my own, but corporately, as a society or as a culture or as a country. Sometimes I wonder if our discussions over politics aren't so heated and so acerbic and mean sometimes because we have too much faith in our politicians. Right? We think that if we just get taxes right, or health care right, or education right, or housing right, that everything will be fixed and we can make heaven on earth. And if those stupid Democrats or if those stupid Republicans just shut up and let us do what we thought was best, whoever we are, then we would make heaven on earth, everything would be fine, and you'd see what a great society we built. Never mind that human nature is fallen, and that no matter who's in charge, no matter how noble their intentions, no matter how great their plan, political, societal, cultural, that we cannot save ourselves, that our nature is fallen, there's something finally in need of salvation in each and every one of us, that we cannot get to heaven on our own. And the final danger is that either there is no home or there's no way that I can get there. Right? You probably, in some point in your life, wanted a miracle like Bartimaeus. Master, I want to see. Master, cure my mother's cancer. You know, Master, give me a child. Something, like, something that you just needed God to give you that he just didn't seem to answer. Right? So, 
What is that? Why does he help some and, and not others? Well, that's wrapped up in the mystery of God's will. I can't answer that question. No one can. That in the end, when we look back on our lives, we'll understand the mystery of God's will and the suffering that we've incurred or the, the lacks that we've, that we've felt that made us long evermore for God's miracles. But what we do know is this, that God has sent his Son to save us and that he's really here in the sacraments, in the Eucharist, that he wants to give us what we truly need. I'll finish with this story I heard. There was supposedly a Confederate soldier after the Civil War was over who was unjustly uh, deprived of some land that was rightfully his. And, of course, the Confederates after the Civil War were very much looked down upon. They were the losers, and uh, nobody really had much mercy on them. And he went to uh, try to speak to the president. And uh, he wanted to talk to Lincoln, and he couldn't get in. Every time he went to the White House, somebody, you know, the soldiers crossed their bayonets. He wasn't allowed in. He was just some gray coat, nobody. And he tried and tried and tried, and finally, in desperation, he just kind of sat out weeping in front of the White House in the garden. And this little boy comes by and says, why are you crying? And he explains his, his problem and that he wants to see the president, but there's no way. And the little boy says, come with me, and just starts walking away. And the guy's like, all right. He starts walking, walks up to the front of the White House, and the guards just stand next, stand beside the boy and let him, they salute and let him go. And the man follows the boy. It turns out it was Tad Lincoln, Lincoln's little boy. And he walks up and says, what can I do for you, son? He says, my friend needs help. And the soldier explains the situation, and Lincoln restores his land to him, pardons him from, from everything that he needed. The point is that even if it's difficult to get to the Father, even if it feels like we're pounding on heaven's door and looking for a miracle, looking for our way home, and we can't get it, we think we, we, think we know what we need, but we can't, the Son is here to take us to the Father. That's the point of Jesus, is that he's come to give us everything that we need to get home. And that this is the hope that is in every one of us, that from the time of our exile from Eden and that exile that each and every one of us feel that something about this place isn't quite home. That getting sick and, and de being deprived and being offended and all the sin and the, and the suffering and the, and the death and decay that exists in our world, as good as it is, is a sign that I belong somewhere else. That I'm going somewhere where the riches that I'm storing up are not eaten by moths or stolen by thieves. I'm destined for some perfect happiness that never ends. That that home exists. That I can get there if I recognize my need for the Savior that brings me there. And that he's come and he's here and he's giving me healing and strength to follow him home.